0: Greetings and welcome once again to another episode of the Retro Reductibus Cephala podcast. Or more, more accurately, into one of our bonus episodes. Because you have wandered way down the stairs and stumbled your drunken ass right smack dab into the brig. And to uh, tonight in our, our maiden voyage of this bonus uh, bonus show that we're going to do for you guys, we are going to concentrate on interviews we're going to do some interviews with some really cool people some industry people and some people that we happen to know and love and tonight uh before i introduce our guest i am joined by my compatriot boss rush mode shoot shoot i don't care oh, Bam, no. i didn't even bring shooting stuff i i i don't have a bow nor arrows nor pistols. i might not have been ta- i might not have been talking to you Oh, that's true. I can shoot my <laughs> mouth. I can shoot my mouth. That, that you do happen. that very well. Uh, that could happen at some point. Tonight, uh, we're going to slam the door shut and our first guest in the brig, and that is internationally renowned music and fine art photographer and our longtime personal bud, Mr. Jeremy freaking Saffer. Say hello, Jeremy. How's it going, man? How's it going? Welcome to the brig. Thanks for having me, dude. No problem. I'm super happy uh, that we have this, this quarantine for the first time tonight because uh, you, your schedule has uh, been freed up a little bit, so you could uh, be on with us.
1: <laughs> it's actually been more hectic during quarantine than, uh, than without it, honestly, just because really? of the book. Wow. I'll, I'll tell you all about that later, but yeah, it's been hectic.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, so tell us a little bit about. He's like, that. yeah, screw
2: you, Steve. I'm still busy just because you're lazy. <laughs> piece of crap.
0: <laughs> no that, that is that is pretty awesome. Now that's really good to hear. It's uh, it's always good to hear, especially creative people, if we're keeping ourselves like busy. It's it's like it's a hustle. You got to make sure you're not being a lazy butt. But you know, we're tr- <laughs> it's it's a daily struggle for me.
1: I know that's that's for sure. And I'm I've been started doing yard work lately too, which is very new for me. Dude, I'm in the same boat. Like, how did grass work? I'm trying to figure that out. I just planted <laughs> grass seed, and I'm watering it every day, and I'm like, okay, grass, do your thing, grow. Like, what the <laughs> fuck, grass? Get <laughs> off your ass and grow, damn it. Like, I'm,
2: I'm <laughs> watching it and watching it. It's just taking forever. It reminds yeah. me
0: of a saying about the paint drying. Yeah, that's what it is. It's something about molasses and paint, or I don't know what it is. I don't know. There's some. There's something there. I can. I can almost get it, but it's, it's something, something about, in my brain. Something about a pot of water. I don't know. I don't know what it is. So, so, Jer, uh, please tell us uh, a little bit about yourself. You are. You are a pretty cool dude, and we have uh, watched your career with with loving, loving grace over the years. Uh, we've known you for a while. So, so, tell us.
1: Uh, tell us a little about your career so far. Well, you guys knew me before my career started when I was kind of going for the music thing yes. um, i started as a musician as a guitarist and i went to berkeley school of music and hated it um i'm good playing metal you try to get me to play jazz and blues i'm not about it and it makes me miserable with <laughs> photography i can shoot anything and like it so i kind of put down the guitar for a camera and went 100 percent into music photography right and I started off doing concerts for probably five years before getting into portraiture. And then I started doing more portrait work, doing album covers, magazine covers, album art, that kind of stuff. And I tend to do much more of that now than live photography. And yeah, I've been working for pretty much every metal band out there that I can. That, that tours the U.S., um, working with every label out there. Working with a bunch of magazines from Metal Hammer, Outburn, Revolver, Decibel, Kerrang, as many as I can, and I'm just uh, still at it.
0: Yeah, you you hey. made quite a name for yourself, sir. It's pretty freaking awesome. It's pretty uh pretty cool to behold, let me tell you. Um, but so just so people realize, when you say you were you were actually you know shooting live bands for five years, that's when you were still in high school, correct?
1: Um, yeah, it was right at the tail end of high school that really started where I was just going to shows and taking pictures of bands I either played with at the time or even local shows. The dude who put on all the local shows for Western Mass where I live, you know, every Sunday would be a quote unquote local show with Lamb of God, Kills Witch Engage, Shadows Fall, Terror, you know, any of those bands that became huge. And this was like 90, 98, 99 or so? yeah that's when i really got started i want to say 97 is like when i first 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 got into it 98 is when i started doing it more regularly um but that person scott lee who ran all the shows in western mass also worked for a bigger company called mass concerts Mm. and they do you know the palladium the webster but also a lot of other shows that they promote across the new england area so i started shooting all of their shows as well around uh 99, 2000. I became their photographer doing that, and uh, yeah, so I was shooting pretty much every live show I could that came through. Didn't matter what it was, right. Uh, right. you know, rock, metal, Santana, Slayer, didn't matter.
0: Yeah, sure. You, you know, you're yeah. getting your experience, and you're you're putting in your time, and you know, you're he- you're you were right to the, that grindstone, man. I mean, you know, from the very very beginning, it's you know really was cool even then like how how much hustle you had this little dude like you're just in high school man it's freaking nuts it's awesome and uh, back to berkeley correct me if i'm wrong i have this memory it's just swimming around mm-hmm. did it come down to like they were to to graduate berkeley you have to
1: sing and yeah. you're like fuck no i can't do this yeah basically what happened is i went in as a level 3 guitarist which you usually go in level 1 like I was a technically proficient guitarist, but to get, to, to get past level one, you have to do something called um, sight singing, if you know what okay. that is, where they put a sheet of music in front of you and you have to sight sing it note for note. Okay. I can't sing. I'm not a singer. I never had that ability. I don't have that ability. And so if I could not sight sing, I could not move forward at Berkeley right they got me they, they tried to help me they got me a tutor they got me you know extra work with my sight singing teacher but all my other classes music theory music composition music analysis music lab mu- and anything else i was doing fine you know a's across the board sight singing can't do it can't move forward at berkeley so right. i kind of hit a wall and i was like i can't continue because they won't let me so bye right and so that's that's what ended music for me, Jen, like in general, I stopped yeah. playing. Them.
0: Yeah. So I remember distinctly that like we had met you before because you were in high school. So we knew you at the, you know, before you went off to Berkeley and it was like, you absolutely could have gone either way. I think you at that point w- would have preferred a, a career in music. And then it just, you pivoted so quickly and so naturally entered into photography because you had been doing it for so long anyway that it's just so awesome to see somebody with two great options you know they're so great like you would have been so happy either way they're both these creative endeavors that you were great at and stuff and that's really cool um but for the listening audience we actually uh we met because uh and boss rush please correct me if i'm wrong on this We were in a band uh, back in those days called Torrential Rain, and Rain was spelled R-E-I-G-N because you know misspelling shit is metal, Um, or 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 hair metal. I don't know, like or alternate spelling, as it were. Yes, alternate spelling. It's technically the correct spelling of a word, Um, right? And we uh, we had a guitarist at the time who our listening audience may be familiar with. His name is now Nintenjo. And he was with us for a while and he uh, just decided he needed a break. He just didn't want to do it anymore at that particular time. So Boss Rush and I were like, oh shit, well, we need to find a new guitarist. And I, so Jer like, was it on like, I feel like it was on like Iron Maiden message boards or something. It's so bizarre. Like, you know, cause there was no social media. Yeah, it had to be through Paul,
1: okay, I would say. So cause my- he was into the more black metal and doom metal kind of stuff that I was into so it had to be that we met at shows, or lame enough, we were friends on Live Journal. That could have been it. Okay. <laughs> I
0: thought it was like an an answer to a, a post or something, as if we put out an ad, but we didn't put out an ad. I I thought that maybe, <laughs> but yeah, maybe. Was, so my cousin Paul was the drummer um, at the time, and um, and so yeah, you're probably right. It must have been Paul that that somehow was that connective to. He was the key master. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I mean, if you think about it, back then Facebook, MySpace, none of those things existed. Right. That was before right. social media existed. Right. Uh, the only thing I had was a deviant art and a live journal, which were like me posting photos and me posting, you know, teenage rants about being angry at something.
0: Yeah. So, so uh, much angst. Man. There's just so much angst.
1: So much. Oh, oh. man. Back then, totally. Oh. <laughs> so and we didn't have any mutual friends, so it had to be either we yeah. met at shows or we met at, uh, you know, in a the unholy metal chat room potentially mm-hmm.
0: okay. Okay. on AOL. Mm-hmm.
1: But I never did any message boards, so it had to be something like that.
0: Oh, that's really funny. That so none of us are quite sure. That's that's so interesting. <laughs> I don't know what happened, but um, but we. We, so we, anyway, you ended up playing with us for about a year and a half or so, I think. And uh, we wrote like a few songs and, uh, you know, didn't really didn't really do a whole lot. But hey, you know what we did? We had a hell of a lot of fun. That's what we did. Yeah, so, that's right. Absolutely. We sure did. <laughs> we became lifelong friends. That's right. That's true. And, yes. uh, we also uh, got introduced to uh, Jess of Virus of Ideals through you. You guys were yep. both buds in, in high school. Yep. That's pretty cool. Another, another lifelong bud, which is, uh, awesome and, um, and stuff, but yeah. Um, so that, that is going back to at least 99, I think. Um, but so I think at the time, didn't you have, uh, your, your website at that point, didn't you have chaos metal?
1: Yeah. Basically what happened was, um, I was working as the house photographer for the Palladium, but I was also doing chaos metal, which was interviews, reviews, and live photos, just basically an online zine before that whole scene blew up. Mm-hmm. And it was my way to get into shows that weren't mass concert shows. Uh,
0: and it was chaos with a K. If you know, Cause you can't
1: it. get into, Oh no, it was C H A O S. Oh, it was man. Yeah. I just, sometimes my brain like just changes facts. It's no, no, no. I know where yeah. you're getting confused because my quote unquote stage name was chaos storm with a K. Oh my God. There you, you go. <laughs>
0: there you go.
1: That's
0: so funny. <laughs> yeah, because you were in numerous bands. When you were with us, you were also in, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Winter Throne Was yep. the name of
1: the band you and uh, Adam? Yeah, yeah. Yep, it was me. Um, Adam was in it for a minute, and then uh, this dude, Mike, who's in a bunch of grindcore bands. Good nice. dude.
0: Yeah, you were definitely all about that black metal stuff, and we were more like, I don't know, I guess... Traditional metal, power metal, but you just—you just rolled with everything. You just liked everything. Wanted to play anything, and, and it yeah, was, as long as it was metal. Right. As long as <laughs> yeah. it was metal, that's right. Um, and it's funny because, yes. <laughs> You and I were talking the other day, like, gearing up for this interview when I asked if, uh, if you, you wanted to be on. And, um, and we were talking about some albums that are still to this day your favorite albums, and it's, it's just so amazing because, like, they were your favorite albums in 2000. Yeah. So I remember, distinctly, I remember Dreaming Neon Black from Nevermore. Yeah,
1: best album ever. Yeah.
0: And uh, At the Heart of Winter by Immortal. Those were, those were your two, like like cherished gems at that point. And they, they still, oh,
1: are, still are. Yeah. Still no
0: are. See, that's the thing with, uh, with, I think, I think metal fans, like we, we really like, uh, we really like the shit we liked, you know, when we were younger, you just, you just, it never gets old. Basically that's, that's what it is. It's just tried and true forever. And that's sort of like the deal with our podcast. So we, you know, we celebrate all the things that we loved when we were younger. And uh, you know, it could be anything it could be TV shows or video games or whatever but uh yeah so um you have okay so let me see let me pivot you have a new book yep let's just let's just let's just talk about the elephant in the room because the elephant is really fucking badass and he's covered in corpse paint and he's really cool and i think his name is like thoth or something something egyptian maybe i don't know what his name is i haven't asked i'm a little i'm a little afraid of him actually but he's in the corner let's talk about him uh your new book is called Daughters of Darkness. Yep, and this is a book that you have been working on for a hell of a long time.
1: Yeah, twelve years. Twelve
0: years. So, uh, four hundred models from all over the world, according to your website.
1: Yep, most of them locally to New England or locally to Los Angeles, but um, many flew in for it, even from from Norway to shoot for it, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple models from Sweden, uh, yeah, from all over, which is great.
0: So this is and, big, and for the listening audience
1: out there, if
2: the listening audience out there, none of them were me. So you know, rest assured, <laughs> I, I, I was not a model in any of these photographs. So you
0: can buy this book with confidence that there is no naked boss rush in there. You don't have to worry about that. Exactly, exactly.
2: So I just want to you mean, know get that out there. So no, team. no one needs to worry.
1: You can imagine one of those scenes from those comedy movies where someone knocks someone out and takes their uniform and steps in for them to try to get in. Yeah. And, but the problem with that is there's no uniform to grab. So we would just show up in corpse paint and need, yeah. yeah, I guess it wouldn't work in this situation.
0: Corpse paint and boobs. That's, that's what we need. Um, and, well, and I, I, do. Boss Rush, I do have boobs. He does have boobs. Does. <laughs> uh, you don't want to see him, but, um, no one wants to see him. No one wants to see him. Um, so darkness of darkness, Man, talk about this process of this being your pet project for so freaking long. And uh, now, did you ever think that perhaps this wasn't going to happen, but you're just going to keep on plugging away anyway? Or what, oh, yeah. what was your I mean, thought
1: process? This book, technically, I wanted to do it and like have it done with years ago, but it just kept going and going and going because... Too many people were afraid to touch it. They were just like, yeah, this is too specific of a thing that we don't think we have an audience for. Got it. And finding the right home and being able to do it my way rather than, you know, hey, we want to put out a really small, soft cover, you know, 60 pages kind of thing. It's like, no, it's got to be big. It's got to be a lot of pages. It's got to be legit. So finding the way to do this the right way and finding the right home for it was really important, mm-hmm. which I finally did, which is great with rare bird. They're okay. a great publishing house. They do a lot in music, which is awesome. A lot of their books come with vinyl, which is really cool. Very cool. Uh, yeah. My first meeting with the dude, he was wearing a satiric on so I'm like, okay, cool. This dude knows exactly <laughs> what I'm doing. He gets it. <laughs> I'm looking online. You, you have a, uh... You have four different versions of this book yeah there's uh there's four bundles, three versions um there's the regular standard version which is going to be available everywhere in October, okay. but if you order it on the site, you usually get it like a month earlier okay like if you order it on amazon it, it is on Amazon for the same price you don't get any get any of the extras or any of the bonus stuff and then you get it you know a few days after it comes out, whereas if you buy it from the publisher, you get all these extra goodies you get. And and you're supporting an independent publisher and an independent photographer, which is awesome. But you get it a month earlier, which is great. Yeah, and this comes with
0: just the standard edition. It comes with a tote bag. It comes with four metallic mini prints, two corpse paint, guitar picks, uh, three stickers, and a little phone pop. Yep. So that is uh, pretty sick. That's just the standard edition. You got a hell of a lot of extras just in that standard edition. That's really really cool. But yeah, they're all hardcover, different three different covers. Um, really really cool stuff, man. I mean, it's just Thank it's you. just inspiring to see anybody who's able to take something uh, over such a long period and have it come to fruition in the way that they wanted to right. on their own terms, right.
2: not sacrificing their vision, just, you know, plugging away at it until they get it the way they want it. Exactly.
0: It- and it was really
1: cool. Cause the publisher was very much like anytime I brought up a point, like, Hey, I want to do this. He's like, yeah, let's do that. Anything that was like that I thought might've been kind of stupid to somebody else. Like if I told this to any other publisher, they'd be like, why does that even matter? This dude's like, yes, we have to do it that way. Like, so like give us, need- give us an example of that. Um, like what we use for covers, what images are being in the book, the size of the book, how many pages are in the book, um, using spot UV on the cover, having the slipcases, having the box set come with the items it's coming with, um, the title, uh, the logos, all that kind of stuff was really important to them because it was really important to me, which is awesome. Right. Right. So having someone that not only backs you up But the things that are important to you are important to them That's really important When putting out something like this Because I know it's similar to like Record deals and you know a lot of times Bands and record labels butt heads on No this song should be that way Or you know this should be this way and Don't do it this way But with You with need Bird, a ballot like, <laughs> Exactly with Rare Bird they are just like You know what do it your way because that's the way we want to do it bohemian well, awesome.
0: rhapsody doesn't make any sense it's too long nobody will play it on the radio exactly
1: <laughs> and now imagine the opposite of that where this is going to be a masterpiece this is the greatest thing i've ever heard in my life <laughs> we're going to be emulating and singing this song for the rest of time so that's kind of what i'm getting from the publisher which is great
0: right that's exactly. daughters of darkness exactly for all you uh, listening audience at home um, so where should they go to purchase? I know you you can buy it on uh, JeremySaffer.com, and we'll obviously we'll put links uh, on our groups and on um, you know in the, the show notes as well. Any anything you want us to include, we can do that. Uh,
1: what's what's the best place for for people? Well, thank you very are. much. I'll give you a discount code for for uh, listeners too. Oh, you hear that, guys? So oh, nice. Oh, it's only good till. Uh, January, March, April, May, June 6th at 6 p.m. Oh, well,
0: you, if you want to drop. Oh, it
1: I see what they did there. <laughs> nice, nice. It is uh, capital D, lowercase o, capital D for Daughters of Darkness, 666. Easy peasy, one, two, three, easy. Look at that. So it's DOD 666, but the Ds are capped.
0: And where, where do they purchase and, and uh, get to use this code?
1: daughters of darkness book.com boom.
0: So I'm going to have all that stuff in the liner notes of this, this particular episode of the brig and also, uh, on our group, when we post about this and, uh, yeah, you'll, you guys can check that shit out. There are four price tiers. It's all amazing. Lots of, uh, lots of bloody boobs. It looks like, I mean, I haven't, I haven't read. The yeah. Book yeah.
1: yeah. One edition has, a. Uh, has the bloody cover, which we're calling the Bathory cover. Nice. And uh, then the other one's the super box set. Nice. And then one of the things that was tricky is obviously this is coming out during a time when people aren't putting things out because people can't really afford stuff because we're all kind of out of work. Very true. So one of the things I wanted to implement was payment plans, especially on the more expensive books, but also on you know the least expensive version. And they were able to do that for me, which is Again, another one of those things that it's important to me, so it's important to them, which was great. Yeah, so, um, yeah those guys really pay- had your back. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They have uh, this thing called a firm, so no matter if you get the $60 book or the $666 book, there's a payment. Which payment there actually
0: is. He's, he's being dead serious.
1: Yes, that is a handmade, hand sewn uh, custom book that there's only going to be 25 of. Uh, there's 24 extra pages in there that aren't on any other version. Uh-huh. And it comes in a handmade wooden box with tons and tons and tons of extra stuff. Like a hoodie, a t-shirt, three back patches. Uh, I want to say like 20 prints, something insane like that. It is fully loaded. It's not one of those things where we're like, oh, we're making you know all this money by this being $666. It's like, nah, man, you're getting you're getting the value of that for sure. Yeah.
2: <laughs> right. You're getting a bunch of stuff for that, for that money.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean I'm like, like we're still adding to what's going to be in there, yeah. which is great. Yeah. It's like,
2: Oh, it's, it's it's just slightly different from like the $60 version? It's just an extra slip cover. No, you're getting a bunch of awesome shit with it. A handmade wood yeah.
0: book uh, bookcase. Yeah. So, I mean like if the publisher wasn't drinking the Jeremy Saffer Kool-Aid by at this point, when this came up, obviously obviously they really believed in this project to uh be able to put out such an incredibly crazy edition. my god the true daughters of darkness deluxe box set nuts man true and
1: cult you know
0: man what a friggin' feeling like what like who who brought this version up was this you or is this them saying you know what we could do like how did how did this come up i mean that's that's really crazy that's a handmade wooden
1: box that comes in and there's only 25. Yep. And then the book itself is hand sewn, which is awesome. So that's really cool. But um, basically the idea was to have three or four different covers and different versions. I didn't know how they would vary. Mm-hmm. I'm so used to doing things with different versions. Like, you know, you buy a record, you can get the regular CD, yep. the digi pack or the super deluxe set that comes with all sorts of things for like a lot extra, and I'm a collector of all things, so I'm definitely all about doing those nerdy, super packed, awesome, you get all these extra things kind of thing. So when we were discussing it, we figured out, you know, the regular version's the regular version. The special version is going to have this, this, and this, and going to come with these extra prints. But we're going to do the top tier, super rare, super hand numbered version, which, you know, I have some things like that from like Immortal and Dark Throne and sure. some, some books as well, but mostly albums. And the tricky part was figuring out what we wanted to have go with it. And my whole idea was, okay, you get this wooden box. It has the logo on it. You open it up. It has the book, but it also has candles, corpse paint, um, <laughs> something where you can basically set up an altar and put on your corpse paint. Dude, you know, you know, or... something that's very black metal and, yeah, and made sense. And then we did that, but we also added so much more to it because he had all these ideas to throw into it. Yeah. My God. I mean, you're talking about thinking big.
0: <laughs> I mean, I, I just can't imagine. I mean, unless there was like a $6,000, $6, dollars version that came in an actual hollowed out person.
1: Oh, dude. That's the next one.
0: <laughs> I hand deliver it with a body bag. It comes in Jeremy Saffer. That's the thing. You can only buy one, though. There's only <laughs> one available. I can only do it one. Do you have a, do you have a, do you
1: have a version that comes in a handbasket? A hand basket? Yeah, I mean, well, you don't put hand, basket. hand baskets, don't you? Yeah. Helena I mean, handbasket. Yeah, hell. They come in totes, so.
0: No, <laughs> uh, what you what you put in uh, hand baskets are uh, people named Helena. This joke's in the shitter. All right, so let's it put, sure uh, is let's <laughs> push past it though. We're gonna keep. We're just gonna push right, right. on past. We'll it. power through it. it. <clears throat> so, Boss Rush, I know you had uh, you had a couple questions for Jer. Let's I did, out. like a. Uh,
2: Give me a couple of photography questions. Uh, one of them is uh, what's your favorite venue to
1: shoot live bands at? Oh, the Palladium. No question. That's my oh, home, nice. from home.
0: Hometown hero.
1: Oh yeah. The Palladium. Palladium. Music. Worcester, Massachusetts. Oh yeah, absolutely. The Worcester, you know, and you gotta, you know, specify there's a Palladium in LA. Um, oh yeah. But yeah, I've been to most venues across the U S like mid range to, to large venues from touring for a few years and the Palladium is just the best they have the best security they have the best team there they know how to handle crowd surfers they know how to handle mosh all the people who work there know the bands know the music they know the fans and there's never like you know when you go to shows and you see security there and they're just miserable and they're like Mm -hmm. I hate my life I hate this and I hate these crowd surfers, so I'm not really going to help them. I might actually hurt them kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, the Palladium is the exact opposite of that. They love what they do. They love their music. You know, they're very supportive of the bands, the photographers, the fans. It's the best venue hands down. Nice.
0: And we've, uh, I mean, we've all seen plenty of shows there. You yeah.
1: know, um, oh, absolutely. Yeah.
0: I mean, and, and usually uh, I, we get to see you there too, which is always the, the added bonus.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah for sure
0: i mean uh yeah i mean uh that's definitely a place that i have many times thought my god like we are so fucking lucky to have a place like this that has so many metal shows we have bands coming from all over the place like you know for me i'm you know i'm i'm looking at a lot of bands from like germany and sweden and stuff like that and they they just come on over you know or Nightwish always goes there and they're from finland you know i mean Lots of bands that, you know, don't necessarily have big U.S. tours always go to the Palladium. That's yeah, absolutely. Cool. So this has just turned into a, uh, an ad for the Palladium, which is perfectly fine because we fucking love the Palladium. It's awesome.
1: Yeah, best yeah. friend, hands down.
0: Cool. That's also the, uh, the place that once upon a time, real quick, you got us backstage and we got to shake hands with like half of Blind Guardian and half of Symphony X, which was kind of awesome. I don't yeah. know if you remember that, but like I rem- that was like a big deal for me. That was awesome.
1: That's awesome. Great dudes.
0: Yeah, speaking of great dudes and cool people, like, so you've worked with some serious fucking legends, man. Like, because you are a
1: legend. Let's, let's, just, let's, just, let's just admit that. I don't know. I'm yeah. trying. We'll see. <laughs> I, think, I think I need to hit over 50 years old to become a legend. Think, um, like, and you an just e. can't
0: say it yourself. That's yeah. the
1: Just make sure, because
0: then you're Kanye. You don't, like, you can't say that you're a genius, but like, if other people start saying it and you're still not 40,
1: it's, it's okay. Just Just be like, cool, man. Thanks. <laughs> I feel about artists too if anyone's like hey you're an artist i'm like i don't know i just move my finger from here to here it is what it is <laughs> but so you have worked- hey, you know what i'm gonna say that is not that easy
2: because for some reason cameras and i do not get along there's been plenty of times where i've tried to do things for friends or even like videotaping and it's like so that you turn the sound on like Wait, there's a separate thing for that? <laughs> or that, like the video just i mean, I don't know. Can, I am cursed when it comes to cameras or filmography. I just can I'm I am just not adept with it at all. So we'll be it's like, not wait. just it's not just moving your finger.
0: Wait, wait, did you move your finger from here
2: to here? You're like I must have I must have moved it somewhere it. else. I don't know.
0: But <laughs> well, you have worked with uh, some people I like I think the ones that, that floored me the most were um, Alice Cooper. Yep. And uh, Dave Mustaine, you mentioned already, uh, and you just worked with him again. Do you have any, um, any anecdotes from those shoots or anything else that you want to kind of share that was maybe a, maybe a like, you couldn't believe you were, fly- you were flying there or driving to this, this particular place to, to work with this person? Was there, uh, was there any, like, worthy mentions like that that you just, you just like, oh, my God, what, 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 what universe is this?
1: I mean, it's always super cool when you get to work with the people you looked up to when you were younger. So that could be anywhere from you know really big bands like Alice Cooper and Megadeth to lesser known bands like you know Mortis or Abbott. Um, I mean, Immortals pretty huge. Yeah, but about, more people I mean, about know this. who Megadeth is than who Abbott is, and or like Doyle stuff like that is always yeah. super cool.
0: Was there any, like, can, can, you, can you give me a little of the Alice
1: Cooper shoot? Like, what was he like? Oh, he's always super nice, and he's really, really smart and full of facts. So that scene in Wayne's World where they go backstage right. and he starts spewing facts at them, that's who he is. <laughs> um, we were doing a shoot in Northampton prior to his tea time. It had to be early because he golfs every day, pretty much. So we were doing the photo shoot and he took out this sword and he goes, Hey, so do you watch the show Pawn Stars? And I'm like, I do. I love that show. And he's like, so I bought this from Rick from Pawn Stars. It's a 19th century Spanish scabbard. And he just like told me all about the sword. <laughs> then he put the sword away and got the snake out. And he told me the name of the snake, um, its breed, its specialty, like like subbreed of what it was. It it was crazy. Oh, yeah.
0: Well, because snakes, like, if you're a snake collector, if you're, you know, you get way into, like, the different colorations, all the different mutations, it, it could be the same species, it can still be, like, the same boa, but you can have it come in, like, you know, 50 different flavors, and, you know, the regular, you know, or the ball python, the regular ball python, it might be, like, $20, but a ball python that has, like, the special albino domino, you know... Galactus print on the back, like with the little, my little pony ass tattoo. Like it just naturally comes with that. And it's like, you know, a, a $10,000 snake and it's still just a ball python.
1: Yeah. 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 It's really,
0: really Definitely. crazy.
1: He knows his stuff. It's
0: really great. I actually really like listening to, to snake people. I'm not a snake people, but I do have a lizard. <laughs> we do have a, a, a bearded dragon in the house and I have gone to some, uh, some lizard uh, and reptile conventions and it is always very interesting to, uh, to see all the snakes and stuff like that. And like, oh my God, there's always like a $20,000 snake. Like somebody's got one. It's just like, oh, what is this? They're like, oh, it's a ball python. But that's not why it's expensive. It's got the $20,000 My Little Pony Ass Tattoo on the back. That's why. Yeah,
1: and its dad used to tour with Alice Cooper. So.
0: I, mean, I, mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, for real. You know, the yeah. pedigree is there. We got the papers. The Certificate of Authenticity. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, uh, when we talked about doing this interview... You know, we're like, all right. Well, what can we talk about this retro? And I don't want to move on unless you're ready to move on. But uh, you, you did mention a retro topic that we've uh, we've done a little bit of research on and brushed up on a few films, and that is uh, the films of Clive Barker. And you're awesome. a big fan of uh, horror, as as I know and Boss Rush knows. And I know that I've never I've never actually been in your current house, but. I've seen pictures of your TV and there are many mannequins all around dressed up as basically every killer. It's a
1: very murdery room, this room. Well, well, yeah, those are like, like if you go to Spirit Halloween or previously Spencer Gifts, they would always every year come out with like two or three life size things you could get. And I would always get them. So I have plenty of them. They're not like dressed up as whatever. They're just made to be there.
0: They're made to, they're like, no, that, that is Michael Myers. No, ask Yeah, him yeah, yeah, exactly. That, he, Excellent. no, he. Excellent. He will, yeah, right. Different Michael Myers.
2: Oh, oh, I'm sorry.
0: I know we were talking about Bohemian Rhapsody earlier and everything. Sorry. <laughs> um, but so Clive Barker, uh, but do you want to talk uh, about anything else with your book or anything else you want to kind of bring to the forefront? Before we move on? or, or Actually, you, I'd like think? to ask
2: my second question. Oh, please do. So my, my, my second of two <laughs> is uh, who is the person or group or band that you most want to work with, but you haven't yet?
1: Uh, Ozzy. Um, oh, wow. Um, Ozzy and Elvira are probably the two top people I want to photograph and do a photo shoot with. Like I've photographed Ozzy live, mm-hmm. um, but I've never done a photo shoot with them. And those are two very, very different things right uh, same thing with Elvira like it would be awesome to do a photo shoot with her in costume as Elvira you know that that'd be awesome but I always have a Excellent. running list of like you know 10-20 people I want to work with and some people go from the bucket list to list of accomplishments some people go from the bucket list unfortunately to the grave but right yeah you know it's just an ongoing list that changes Right. as time yeah. rolls on yeah, and
0: 2020 has not been kind uh for creatives uh there's been a lot of uh, a lot of unfortunate deaths um but i don't know if you got to work with little richard
1: no i wish that would have been awesome but he's All been out of the limelight for he a decade and
0: yes uh Elvira would be really cool for sure, and Ozzy. Yeah, those are those are two great ones. Like uh, Cassandra Peterson uh, is often at horror conventions, and I work a lot of horror conventions. And you know, I've I've like you know interacted with her a little bit and said hi and stuff. But she's always got like a big line. But she's usually not in costume.
1: No, she um she retired the Elvira costume thing a while ago, but then she brought it back again. She's currently doing COVID videos, which is I awesome. saw. I did uh, see that. As Elvira. So that means she has it back, but it's like it could go either way when things reopen. Either <laughs> right. they're going to be the busiest they've ever been because now the demand is so high because they've, been, they've gone so long without conventions, or conventions won't be able to happen and will be more accessible for things like, hey, I'm going to be in LA, let's do a photo shoot. And I've tried, but you know, n- yeah. no luck yet. We'll see.
0: Oh, man, because Elvira on the cover of Daughters of Darkness 2 would not suck.
1: Well, I, I wouldn't think she would model for that or anything like that, but just doing a photo shoot with her in general and getting into yeah. a bunch of magazines would be
0: right. Yeah, but if she did. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Fair. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I got. you were um, asking me about Megadeth, and I just did, I don't know, my 10th shoot with them.
0: Oh, it's so cool.
1: And it was with Dave and it was right before the pandemic hit. I basically flew down to uh, Tennessee and did a shoot with him. He lives down there. So it was kind of like around where he lives. And it was really cool because all of my photo shoots I've done with him have been the standard, you know, this has to look like Megadeth. This has to look like, you know, angry, intense metal god Dave Mustaine. And the whole idea for this shoot was, you know, humanize this God, like make this person who's only looked at as this invincible human, you know, entity as like an actual human being with, you you get what I mean? Uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean,
0: he was battling cancer at the time, right? He wasn't
1: cleared. No, 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 no. no. He got the all clear right before the photo shoot. Oh, he did. At least a little bit before the photo shoot. And um, that was the whole idea behind it that he's a survivor and while he might not be invincible he's back better than ever Mm -hmm. strong and that's exactly how he was during the photo shoot he was cracking jokes laughing you know telling me all these awesome stories from back when he was on tour and the actual cover shot is him mid-sentence telling me a story about um how Dez from coal chamber Mm -hmm. hurt his leg on tour with them and he ran in, wrapped up his leg and gave him something, some like rub or something for it. And he goes, you're going to be fine, kid. You know, another story of why he's like such an awesome and kind dude who like, what headliner would do that for an opening band? Right. You know, that doesn't happen. But Dave's that kind of dude. He's, he's awesome. That's really great. Yeah. And right. it was funny because... You know, Des is my manager and Des was telling me a little bit about that story and so I actually brought it up during the photo shoot I was like oh hey Des says hi and he told me a little bit about this story and he's like no nah, that's not what happened this is what happened <laughs> and I, <told> him- <laughs> I was like ah oh, that's that's awesome
0: oh man that is just so nuts yeah he's a great dude it's also weird to me that he lives in Tennessee that's just it just seems very incongruous I don't
1: know. Like, yeah, yeah. Dave Mustaine lives in lives in Tennessee. Well, that's, I knew it was uh, he Arizona. A, he, he was in Arizona, but uh Tennessee's the new hub for everybody. Like Ashley Purdy from Blackvale moved there. Uh, Hailstorm lives there. Uh, so many bands are moving huh. there. That's the new hub for music, pretty much. Mm-hmm. It's Rock Nashville in the South. Yeah, yeah. It was crazy when I came in. It was like two days after a tornado oh, wow. like a Oh tornado rocked Nashville. And I came in and luckily the studio wasn't hit by it. But when I was driving around, I got to see all these like buildings that were like all over the place, trash everywhere. Trees down. It was wow. Like, oh. And
0: this was like pandemic looming, right? Like you it were on March
1: 7th. Yeah. Oh, wow. Shit. Jesus, dude. I can't believe you even got down there. Jeez. Uh, I mean, everybody was like starting to sanitize and wear masks and stuff. Yeah. Um, but I want to say like maybe exactly a week later, the pandemic hit and lockdown yeah. hit. Wow! The first lockdown that hit like a week later wasn't Massachusetts. It was like New York or California or something like that. But a week after that, uh, you know, it hit Massachusetts and we got the lockdown.
0: Yeah, right. we had like, it, it did seem like we had one extra week of work than um, <laughs> a lot of other people. Yeah. So what do you say? Uh, you want to talk some Clive Barker? Absolutely. So what do you love about Clive Barker? You said, you said Steve, I got two faves. It's Nightmare on Elm Street and Hellraiser.
1: Yeah. I think Hellraiser is my all-time favorite. Nice. For horror, for horror. but um, For horror, For horror, yeah. <laughs> because, you know, The Crow is my favorite. But, yeah, Hellraiser is just so awesome, and it's so metal. Like if you look at their costume designs, it's similar yeah. to what, you know, not that they took it from metal, but metal took it from, from there a little bit. And of course, you know, Clive Barker being into these awesome designs and all this kind of s and M e kind of looking stuff, chains yeah, right. and leather and vinyl and, and piercings and all that, it looks so awesome. It's visually, and you know, I'm a visual dude being a photographer. It's visually so cool.
0: Oh, that makes sense. It does. I, I, I just get that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, look at the character designs in Nightbreed as well. The designs are just so cool. Everything. Oh yeah. There's,
0: and there's so many of them too.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah, dude. That was like the ultimate Clive Barker being Tim Burton movie.
2: Right. It was. <laughs> yeah. I actually saw that movie for the first time, uh, like last night, actually.
1: Really? There's, um, there's an extended director's cut that's much longer and it's much more Burtony.
0: <laughs> yeah. So. I don't know if it's better. It, it's definitely longer and it's definitely interesting because it does have alternate stuff and you do get to see more of some of the characters that you feel like, why were they only in it for one second? Yeah. Um, but I've never seen the, the cabal cut, which I guess the director's cut is like part of like the cabal cuts sort of in there, I guess, but the director's cut is like it it's further. There's more stuff they, they uncovered and stuff. Cause I
1: guess the basic deal is that it, it lost a lot of footage. Yeah. I mean, when you watch the director's cut, you can see the quality of the film go from good to not good. And that's obviously the stuff they couldn't remaster because it was shot in whatever way. But the director's cut is pretty much the cabal cut and a few extra things added to it. So you did get to see the cabal cut. There's not much of a difference.
0: Yeah. Uh, that's, that's, it's, it's, you know, even though you can tell the difference, it's like, you know, when, when the old footage is there or the bad footage, it's, it's not that bad. They did a pretty fucking great job, I think. Oh, uh, absolutely. Scream Factory, of course. Um, right. And, uh, and whatnot. But yeah, I was actually, uh, a fan of that movie as a, as a kid. And, uh, that was actually my, Clive Barker movie because I didn't actually see the Hellraisers until later in life. And honestly, uh, full disclosure, I've only seen the first two. I've never actually seen any of the other ones. You can and, stop at four. Yeah. I, I was looking at them like online on Amazon to see, like, I was just watching the trailers. And one of them, I was like, holy shit, it has mayhem from the commercials. And he's like, I'm your cat. I'm, I'm drinking <laughs> out of your faucet. You know, like that guy, he's like,
1: he's in one yeah. of them. Dean Winters, he's actually awesome. That's yeah. actually not a bad one. The The problem with 5 through 8 is those movies weren't Hellraiser movies. They were brought to Dimension or New Line or whatever. And, you know, hey, here's my script. Okay, it's a good movie. Add Pinhead to it and we'll make it a Hellraiser movie. So that's what happened with all those, except the sixth one is kind of an anomaly in that it is, it does have Ashley Lawrence back in it from the first two movies. Yeah, it has Dean Winters, who is awesome. If you've ever seen Oz, he's incredible in Oz, and he rules.
0: I remember well. I love. I did love him on Thirty Rock. He was on every once in a while, and he was a uh, he was a main character in the Sarah Connor chron- Chronicles, which was oh, like really? a short lived Terminator show. And I actually liked that show with Lena Heady
1: or Heedy. I don't know how you say it. That's awesome. He rules, and his brother rules too. Yeah yeah that's pretty uh, cool
0: so but and then i noticed that one of them uh Hellworld has oh never henry, see that henry cavill and katherine winnick or anything mm-hmm. like, like what the hell is going on like am i being punked right now i i just <laughs> I literally looked out the window to see if anybody was there i don't know it well, was
1: crazy there. how many super 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 big name actors got their start being you know, a random person in a horror movie. Like, look at Johnny Depp or Paul Rudd. Oh, yeah, sure. Like, well, Jennifer Paul Aniston. Rudd,
0: I mean, Paul Rudd goes back to Super Nintendo. Super Nintendo really gets the credit for Paul Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. But uh, he was also in, you know, Halloween. No, uh, I think six or five, Curse of Michael Myers. Okay. Five, I think. And then, you know, of course, Johnny Depp famously in, you know, Nightmare, Nightmare. on Elm Street,
0: yeah. Yeah. And, uh, of course, uh, Matthew McConaughey and... Uh, Bridget
1: Jones. Yeah. In the, what, the third one, uh, the fourth, uh, the new generation or next generation of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. What a God awful movie that See, was.
0: You know what the thing is? Like, I guess uh, nightmare on Elm, Elm street is the only eighties, like slasher, like series that I've seen all the sequels. I never bothered with the other ones cause they started to get goofy and people were very vocal about them being bad later. And I don't know. I just never, I've never seen all the Friday the 13th. So I've never seen all of the Hellraisers or uh, Texas Chainsaws. I, I did love the two, like the, the remake that they put oh, out for so Texas good. Chainsaw. So good. The one with, uh, what, Jessica Beale. Yep. And that one. And then the, the next one was the prequel. I loved both
1: of those. I thought they were great, but. The one they did after that called Texas Chainsaw 3D, which was actually incredible. Yeah. Um, it was basically saying, "Okay, Texas Chainsaw Two Onward never happened, and it's a direct sequel to Texas Chainsaw One, but 30 years later or whatever it is. Yeah, and it's yeah. so good. Yeah, surprisingly yeah, amazing. Have Have you
0: ever seen any of those, Greg? Like the, uh, the any of the other Texas Chainsaws? Like I don't know. I just uh, never. I
2: don't think I've seen any Texas Chainsaw. Period. Oh, really? You know, I mean, one, full, I... This, full disclosure. I mean, I'm not. I'm not I... Humongous horror movie fan. I mean, I like the occasional horror movie, but yeah. there's a bunch I've never seen. Even okay. like like Fant. Phanta- I've never seen Phantasm. I've never seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You know any of those? You know. I mean, I, I've seen Hellraiser and I've seen Nightmare on Elm Street and shit like that. But you know, there's a lot I haven't
0: seen. I I gotcha. That's fine. No shaming. I mean, I uh, I did I do like I I do really enjoy Phantasm, and I have seen. All of them except for the last one that they put out a few years ago. I never saw the last one that they. It's did. not great, um, but I'm, I I like that series a lot. It's it's so nonsensical, it, you know. It's like oh my god, it just <laughs> it's very meandering. But I don't care. I love Don Coscarelli. He's an awesome dude, and uh, he's also the uh, the only the only famous person I actually gifted one of my books to. I just I just don't like doing that. It's weird, but i don't know it felt right so i, just, I don't like i don't care I'm like hey can i can i do this he's like oh yeah hell yeah um fun stuff but like uh yeah phantasm phantasm cool. so but clive barker before we get too off topic um i think what i love about clive barker is he does have this very specific sensibility i think what he did for horror is to help uh build universes. I think that's really important. I think a lot of um, horror movies, especially the, the ones we're talking about, they have like a really great idea for that first movie. And then they sort of just don't know what to do, but they need to keep making money. And that's like why, you know, Tom Savini famously wanted nothing to do with Friday the 13th part two. He's like, he's like, what are you talking about? There is, there can't be a part two. And they're like, oh no, we're going to have, have Jason be the killer. And he's like, that is the stupidest fucking thing I've ever heard. And he wanted nothing to do with it. And of course, Jason is Jason now, you know, it's just insane. Um, But he came back and did, did Friday the 13th again. Yeah, but he at, but for number two, he was like, no fucking way, this is stupid. Yeah. Um, but like, hey, you know, it 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 happens. But like, that is sort of the deal with a lot of those sequels. It's like, well, more money needs to happen. Like you just said with all the all the subsequent Hellraisers after after four. But I think that more than most with uh, with Barker, you get the sense of uh, a pervasive universe with not just a slasher villain, but like a cast of characters. He really makes Such visually interesting characters that you just are dying to know more. And um, even though I've only seen the first two, I have seen the first two multiple times. And I did actually rewatch the second one last night. And uh, I loved what I remember loving about it uh, in that there are the Cenobites in the first one. They just feel like this crazy what the fuck tacked on ending almost like you can't even believe what you just saw. You know, they're barely in it. They're like the bride of Frankenstein. They're in it for like, you know, f- 4 minutes or 3 minutes or something. It's like very 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 brief appearance, but they are they are like 90% of what you remember because they're just so striking and so interesting. And and then in the second one, he really builds them up and makes them into characters from the very first scene where we get to see this man played by Doug Bradley who plays Pinhead, and it's actually, it ends up being uh, th- the character of Pinhead when he was still human. Um, and I think that that is just so neat, and I love it at the end when uh, she kind of shows him the picture and they kind of turn, almost turn good for a second and sort of like, you know, fight off Dr. What's-His-Name, and, and then they... Uh, Dr. Chouinard, yeah. Yeah, and then they get creamed, unfortunately. But um, I don't think that that vision of of the Cenobites and of uh, Pinhead, or as he's known in the books, the Hell Priest, is is uh, congruous in any way with uh, Barker's vision. I think. Because uh, have you read Have you read any of the books, Jeremy? Um, long, long, long time ago. Did you read the Scarlet Gospels? That wasn't. That's not that old. No, I haven't. It's interesting. I wouldn't call it good, but it's interesting. It's worth like reading for sure as a fan. And uh, it, is, it is a lot of pinhead. A lot of fucking pinhead in that, in that book. It's almost like the effect, and this is just my own personal opinion. It's almost like, you know, you had Darth Vader, and then we saw whiny bitch Anakin. And it's like, oh, oh, well, now, now Darth Vader is kind of not as cool as he used to be well it 's it 's almost like that it 's like you know what uh, i, I don 't really like him that much in this. He was cooler when he was only in it for short bursts i guess i don 't know but yeah. um, he 's definitely not that like character that would see a picture of himself and and suddenly remember and then you know defend anybody that for sure wouldn 't happen he was a, He was a definitely an arrogant prick and definitely a talker, which I thought was uh was kind of weird but he 's just called the hell priest, even though there are cenobites in the book, and the Cenobites are actually less of a race and more of a... They're like monks. They're like an order. So they're like priests or something. They are indoctrinated into the Cenobite order. But in, uh, in the book, like, the world of hell or Leviathan or whatever he, whatever he calls it, is like it's, it's like a world. It's a place. It, it has, like, towns and, like, general stores and, like, I don't know, like, farms and, like, oh, look, there's the farm where we're growing all the skulls. I don't know. They, like, it's all gross stuff, but, you know, it's like... It's like a place that you could actually inhabit. It's not just all like doors with individual torture chambers, but Hey, I personally like all the stuff we learned in the second movie so much. I just really enjoy that one a lot. That one
1: definitely should check out the fourth movie for sure. Is that the one where they're in space? Well, partially Um, it's three eras. It's like, Way back in the day, like, I don't know, 1400, 1600, something like that. And oddly enough, speaking of celebrities who were in movies way back in the day, Adam Scott from Parks and Recreation is in oh. it. I don't know. You know, Ben. From yeah. Parks yeah. And Rec. That, yeah totally. That's one of his first ever movies, uh, Hellraiser 4. So that kind of tells you the how the box was created, who it was created by, and what it is. Because oh, that's you, Bloodlines, right? Yeah, it's the history of the box, and it was actually the only one I got to see in theaters. Uh, Ollie from All That Remains, when he was my guitar teacher, took me to go see it, hmm. and it was. I so believe cool. I actually saw this in theaters as well. Yeah, Hellraiser 4 is awesome. I know a lot of the graphics are kind of cheesy. A lot oh, of people okay. don't like the uh, "quote unquote" right. in space thing that yeah. happens. But I do
2: remember cool. an awesome like Cenobite dog being in it. Like, yeah. really massive like hellhound. It was pretty. Pretty rad
1: yeah chatterer dogs in it and it's awesome the Cenobites in that movie are great because hellraiser 3 was just like how can we create the most amount of Cenobites possible in a single movie and hellraiser 4 went back to mythology and that's the thing that really does well for clive barker is building you know character development yeah. and mythology none of his characters just exist without a very very deep background right. like Candyman, uh midian all the characters of Midian have such a huge yeah. mythology. Um, same thing with Cenobites and, you know, Cenobites are so much bigger than just Hellraiser because you have that Tortured Soul series from um, his collab with oh, Todd McFarlane. Yeah. Yeah, each one of those came with a story. Mm-hmm. So The the little uh, the paper backing, you open it up and it's got a story written by Clive Barker and it was actually really, really good. I don't know if you can find it online, but it's it's worth reading, and I wish they made a movie of it. Like, mm-hmm. Pinhead does make an appearance at one point, I believe, but it's based on the, the toys, and it's just so, so cool. So cool. It kind yeah. of gives you the mythology of why Cenobites exist and why they become the way they are and mm-hmm. and all that. And that's, that's the Clive Barker thing, having a deep mythology. Yeah, exactly. And then expanding on that mythology as it goes. Right. Sometimes it's a little too much. Like this book you're telling me about where they – kind of anakin it up which is i think you should
0: read it and let me know what you think (laughs) (laughs) i i really do it's it's interesting and and for sure like the i would say the first third of that book's amazing honestly when when fucking pinhead shows up it's it's like the the awesomest like geeky moment you know you're like oh my god like you can't even sit still in your chair and it's, it's so fucking awesome. And then, uh, it's just, it's just, uh, I think by the end of it, 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 it gets a little, little, little silly, but, uh, you know, Hey, far be it for me to say, you'll feel the same way. I mean, but check it out. Scarlet Gospels. I think that was his, cause that was his big final return. He's like, all right, I'm going to come back to this universe, do a, do a full novel and, uh, and put it to bed. But I mean, at the end, you know, he goes full, you know, till boogie. It's like by the end, it's it's like fucking. I think Pinhead fights the devil, so you know, it's, <laughs> it's like bonk is. Yeah, it's, it's freaking bananas. There's a big, there's a big like worm thing, and there's a hole in the sky. I don't know what it is. It's a lot of a lot of weird stuff there. Are killer, uh, killer uh, paper killer origami airplanes or something and it's really like a lot of imagination but that's that's his thing like he's he's yeah. he's very very different and it's interesting too like how he worked in the kink uh aspect to everything the sadomasochism and the just just yeah. overall kink you know it, it's like that was sort of not really a thing you know that that still isn't really much of a thing but um it well, really feels saying, dark.
1: like like it was looked so down upon yeah. and back then, and it was very you know not outlaw taboo but looked taboo and looked down upon, and he mm-hmm. made these characters that are so badass mm-hmm. that like yeah, nothing you can do about it it's happening you know
0: yeah this is this is what we look like here we are you're you, you know you're too scared to even question it yep. um but uh yeah, and uh t- especially you know you mentioned Midian and um a nightbreed and everything like, I mean the characters, especially in that, I think they have such lush backgrounds and you know, it's almost impossible to get them. I do recall. Um, I think the reason why I love this movie as a kid, um, I remember that when it was released on home video, cause I was, I was pretty young. It's not like I got to see it in the theater. Um, when it came out in the video store, I remember a big standee and I've always been really drawn to monsters um, yeah, I mean, my thing is is less slasher and more like ghosts and monsters. That's that's kind of like my horror preference and uh, stuff. But always anything with monsters is for me. And and these guys were just so different. You know, you, you got the moon face guy and, and the girl at the quills, and you know, all these different all these different creatures that you know you've just never seen anything like any of them before. And I remember that. The, the, the video store actually had like a pamphlet and they had a few of the characters and little mini backstories for them. That's cool. Huh. Um, and so I remember, I don't remember names, but there's one lady and she's got like a, like a face growing on her face. It's like at the top corner of her hairline and there's like an eye and a nose and i think there's like a little hand or something there too and she's i swear to god like you can watch the movie and not see her you know i guess she she's in there um she's in there somewhere she's on the poster the original poster where it's just you know craig sheffer and he's standing around like you know and he's surrounded by you know all these cool people but not all of those characters were in the movie very much like sure the moon face guy and and the guy with the red dreadlocks but like the other characters are kind of just background people you could miss there's a fat guy with the 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 eel in his stomach but there's like oh yeah but like i don't know there are anyway so this lady and i remember something like it it was something like they said she had uh she was a uh, like a, a movie star or something and she was she was very vain and she got into a car accident or something and she had this uh like skin graft put on and it ended up that the person who um whose skin it was from like ended up growing like onto her as almost like a parasite and like as time went on more and more of him sort of regenerated on her face so she has like this little eye and this nose and the lip and 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 little hand and stuff and so now she's a freak she's not beautiful anymore and yeah, it was totally something fun. like that, um, and and there were there were you know like maybe five or or so different ones, and they they gave the little stories, and I was just beyond fascinated. I must have read that like a hundred times. I thought it was so fucking interesting, but my mom wouldn't let me see it for a long time. So I just had like she let me take that home. That was fine, but she's like, we're not renting this movie. <laughs> and uh and it was just it was just uh, eventually i got to see it and um and i was actually kind of bummed that all the characters i knew so much about like were barely in it or they were just window dressing or you know even the characters who do get to be in a few scenes like the guy with the moon face you don't Mm. you don't know anything about him you don't know what his deal is but man the imagination
1: was just like
0: overflowing
1: Well, I think the idea was they always wanted to do the the, the sequel to it. And I know there's two books. Um, I forget what the two, I I think one's called Cabal and one's called Midian. I could be wrong on that. There could be only one book, but I know there's more to the story. And He always likes expanding on the mythology. I know the comic book series is really cool.
0: I um, always wanted to read the comic book series. I never found it. I was never able to pick it up, and it's just one of those things I don't remember now that we have uh, eBay or whatever. But I think Cabal oh, dude, is uh, there's a collective works. Is there?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's a hardcover collective works that has everything in it. I'll have to. I'll have to check that out.
0: Yeah, because I yeah, I, awesome. I just loved those stories of like these these interesting characters. They weren't all from. You know the same thing. They weren't all like mutants or demons or they all were different. They were just all 100% unique situations. It was so cool, I thought. But yeah, and the
1: doctor was so badass.
0: Oh yeah, and you know, yeah. I mean, and it's, it's David Cronenberg. Played by figure. Cronenberg. It's like <laughs> so, so. Boss Rush. If you didn't, if you didn't know this, the guy who plays the uh, the doctor in that movie is is like a director. He's the guy who directed like the the Jeff Goldblum fly and various, okay. but he's, he's more known as a director. He's not really an actor. He's he sometimes okay. appears in his own stuff or whatever, but, um, but yeah, they literally just, they wanted him to, to be that character. And he's like, okay,
2: yeah. <laughs> sure. I'll take a stab at it.
0: Oh, I, oh. <laughs> I what was he? Dr. Like Decker?
2: Yeah. Decker. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yep. I love, I love his, and name. the main character, his name was, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The mask is super creepy that he wears. It's super so creepy.
0: <laughs> and the uh yeah, the knife like, he has such a fucking wicked knife. Like, oh my god. Yeah, so I so think it's crazy. Ass. Yeah. Um, and uh but it's you know, the whole thing of like which one's what? What's really the monster? Right. Exactly. It's really the monster. Is it the monster? Is it the monster? Is it the man
1: who's a respectable yep. doctor? Yep. Imagine how good that movie would be if they got anyone but Craig Schaefer to be in that. He's so bad. <laughs> so terrible, but the movie's still good somehow. Yeah. And he's the guy who played the main character? Yes. He, he, yeah. The and what
2: was, it, it was, was, was the main character's name? Was it Aaron Boone? Boone, yeah. I don't Boone, know.
0: Yeah. I don't remember his first name.
2: All right. because I think I'm going to throw another sports reference out there, but I, I believe it's Aaron Boone, and Aaron Boone also happens to be the name of the. A New York Yankees baseball player who hit the series-winning home run that ended the Red Sox 2003 season in the American League Championship Series. And commonly referred to as Aaron fucking Boone in the the sports world around here.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Aaron fucking Boone, man. Aaron fucking Boone. I don't remember his his first name at all in the movie. I want to say it was actually Aaron, but I could be mistaken. I just remember everybody always called him Boone. I don't know. I'm not right, sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: Everyone kind of referred to him as his last name. Yeah. yeah.
0: Good stuff, though. Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's definitely. I think that uh, you know, his the Barker stuff definitely stands out for sure. And I love the world building. I love the detail and the imagination and all that stuff. And you know, even though uh, you know, Boss Rush says that you know he's not much of a horror fan, uh, it was actually him that. Introduced me to the Hellraiser, Hellraiser movies back in the uh, probably late '90s or mid '90s or something. I had just never seen them, and uh, he was like, "Oh, you know, these are kind of like I uh, kind of like these."
1: Well, I was I was like strict horror. They're very dark fairy tale because it's yeah. all so strongly based on mythology. Like even you know Candyman, it's like a very dark fairy tale. Is if you say this name so many times, this is going to happen. But then people keep on doing it for some reason. But then it goes back to the mythology of like when he was killed, when he was a slave, and it's like, it's like a fairy tale. It's really, really cool. And same thing with, with Hellraiser, with Nightbreed, with a lot of his movies. It's very much dark fairy tale rather than just straight-up horror.
0: Very true. Very, very true. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's right, Candyman. Candyman is a movie I've been meaning to rewatch for a few years now. Um, and I love Tony Todd. He's an awesome dude. I, I, you know, he's always fun to watch, and that voice, obviously. Um, yeah. So, what do you think about the the new one? Are, are you? Do you have any any opinions?
1: I've, I've only seen the trailer, the little mini teaser trailer, and the fact that Tony Todd is back as Candyman is the right choice for sure, and it looks awesome. I love everything Jordan Peele's been doing, so I'm sure it's going to be absolutely killer nice
0: i I also choose to be very optimistic i i I thought it looked good I'm excited that you know Jordan Peele is behind it and um, I think it's I, I hope it's good I hope it's good uh, Remakes are a slippery slope of course, and horror remakes more than most tend to be the
1: slipperiest maybe of slopes um, well I mean anybody can be Jason anybody can be Michael Myers but not anybody's not be. there.
0: It's weird. I don't know. That? the magic is not necessarily there. Oh, That's
1: dude, a- I I love the new Friday the Thirteenth. I think it's the best Friday the Thirteenth movie out of all of them. The reboot. With the the one with Mears? Jared Padalecki. Uh, maybe two thousand nine with like Willa Ford and Derek Mears and. Huh? Who else is in it? I think that's the best Jason movie out there, and I know that's heresy to like a lot of people, but
0: yeah, that's weird.
1: It. <laughs> because it takes you through like the Jason of Part Two. It takes you through the history of Part One. Mm-hmm. It brings you, you, you know, it it goes through that history, and it's really cool. It has some of his best kills. It's awesome.
0: So you know what I didn't like about that movie is. The thing that I love about horror movies in general, you know, you talk about fairy tales and there's always this mythology that they build. And one of the things that I love is when there's a killer, I love it when there's rules. If there's no rules, it just feels like there's nothing that the main characters can possibly do and we're just going to watch them all die one at a time. Now, we may end up watching them die all one at a time anyway or down to the final girl or whatever, but like, it's nice when there are rules like, oh, they won't go past this or there's a weakness or they can't cross water. or they, I don't know. Their breath smells bad. And I don't know. They want a tic-tac. I don't know. what. Whatever it is. It's like, it's nice when there are rules. And I felt like, well, Jason's one rule really, well, obviously he took Manhattan. He did do that. But in the early ones, you know, it's like, well, he, he's kind of, you know, punishing people around the lake. And this was the first reboot. This is like the number, the new number one. And it's like, it's like camp crystal lake almost didn't even matter right because it was they were near it but he came to them at their house and like murdered all of them
1: yeah uh, but he also did that in a lot of the other ones
0: but i don't know it's number one i felt like to, to completely just ignore camp crystal lake felt really wrong i don't know i, I didn't gel with me at all personally. no no they
1: were at crystal lake
0: they were at Crystal Lake, but they were like they weren't just residential homes, like rich people homes over on the over on the other side. I don't know. So the camp the camp, I guess. Because I don't know, I I think that that sort of gets rid of a lot of his what makes the character like the initial thought obviously was the mom is getting revenge because these asshole counselors were having sex instead of watching her handicapped son and he drowned. So it's like, okay, cool. And then the second one's like, all right, well, it's a little hokey to think that jason survived drowning and then raised himself on the other side of the lake while watching his mom all these years and then learned to be a serial killer but hey whatever it's just
1: a movie so yeah, he part that. three on he wasn't just at the lake he would go to people's houses from part three four five six and then you know of course he did the manhattan thing which was completely different but you know anytime after part two he was away from cramp crystal lake going into houses yeah
0: so, so I guess part of it is that, like I said, I, I don't, I haven't seen all of the, the later movies, but it's also like, but it's number one. I don't know. Oh, I feel like the camp should have been,
1: should have been integral. Well, it, it, in the beginning, the, the whole thing about that movie is it kind of takes three or four movies and turns it into one Yeah. because you have part one in there. You have part two in there. You have part three in there uh, where he did, you know, he starts with, you know, the burlap sack, then he gets the mask and he, Right,
0: that was cool, that was cool.
1: Yeah, 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 that was really awesome, but it definitely has, you know, the elements of the entire series rather than the elements of a singular movie, and they didn't know if they would get a sequel or not to do more with it, which, of course, they didn't, unfortunately, so I thought it was just a great, cohesive, this is what Jason is.
0: Nice. Nice, I mean, uh, you know, that's that's cool, that's cool. I mean, you know, I love it when, uh, people can find stuff to like about stuff that you know is it's not it's it's, it's actually kind of popular to not like that you said it's heresy or whatever
2: um, oh yeah
1: a lot of the, everyone's problem with you him, like what you the, like i've never heard the camp crystal lake thing everyone's great with that movie is he sets traps he's smart yeah and he runs that's everybody's grape with it
0: yeah. See, I, I saw it when it first came out and I guess I just don't remember. I just, I remember not liking it that much. And I remember there was like one scene with really excellent boobs and I, I don't know. That's, I think that's all I remember.
1: Yeah. That, that's Willa Ford's death. scene. I'll, I'll gander at, or guess that it's that death scene where he <laughs> dabs into, she's hiding underneath the, uh, what do you call it? The thing that comes out on the water. Zamboni. No, no, I don't know anything about sports. I don't know. what I tried. Um, boat. <laughs> the, uh, it's like the wooden, the dock, the deck. A whatever. dock, sure. Yeah. She's under the dock. He's down, then he lifts up to the pier. Uh, right, the pier. get his machete out of her head, and it brings her, uh, her top out of the water. And it's just one of the coolest kills in the movie. Mm. And it's Will Ford, go figure. So in your opinion, watch this
0: movie again. Have an open mind. It doesn't I, matter that it doesn't happen at Camp
1: Crystal Lake. Who gives a shit? Yeah, because that's not a part of 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, you know, onward. Okay. I mean, he goes so, to space, man.
0: It does. <laughs> and, that, and you know what's funny? That movie has had quite the renaissance. Like, of all the sequels, Jason X is the one that people, like, slowly came around and were like, you know, what? I don't. I don't care. Guilty pleasure. I like this movie. It's got great kills. He freezes the girl's head, and it, yep. you know, like all these things. Like Kev, kind of like, yeah, me too. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of liked it too. Like you know,
1: it's the it's, only one I think is terrible. Is Jason goes to hell because Jason isn't really in it. You know, it's this entity possessing other people to be Jason, but it's not actually Jason until the very, very end. Okay. That movie is the only one that I thought was stupid, and Freddy vs. Jason was also awful. Oh man, I love Freddy
0: versus Jason. Oh, I can't. It's so bad. <laughs> <laughs> really? Oh man, I love that one. I think that one is like is just fun. I mean, it's like it's like it doesn't matter what it's adding <laughs> to either franchise. It's just about being pure fun uh in my opinion anyway. I enjoyed it. I actually got to see that one uh in the theater.
1: Um, yeah, I did too. That was one that we were all waiting for and hoping it would be good, but in the end no one wins and it's like a Freddie pulling Jason's strings, and then they fight, and so fucking dumb.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know who also did not win in that particular movie was Mr. Kane Hodder. He unfortunately did not win.
1: Yeah, they had Ken, who was actually, he was in uh, Jason Takes Manhattan as well. Not as Jason, but as a bartender. But um, yeah, that's a bummer, because Kane Hodder, I think, was a great Jason for so many of the movies that are oddly enough not the ones people love the most. People right, love but everybody really, loves him. Everybody, loves, everybody him. loves him because he's embodied it. There's so many, like the person who played Jason in part four just didn't want anything to do with it. He didn't even want credit for it. And that's my favorite one, actually. It's Is four? Other than the, uh, the remake. Yeah, the one with Corey Feldman and Crispin Glover. Okay. So good. Um, that was called uh, the final, you know, final Friday, but it wasn't the final Friday. <laughs> it was, it wasn't was even close to the final Friday. My God. Yeah, there final were so Captain. many Fridays after that. They're like, this is going to be the last one. Uh, never mind. <laughs> but that's the whole thing. Anyone can play Jason. And most actors played him for one movie, and Kane Hodder's the only one who played him for a few movies and really got to become the embodiment of Jason. You know, He played him from seven...
0: Uh, up until that one, his last one was X. So I think he played him seven, yeah. eight, nine, ten. He did four movies, yeah. Yeah, and and he, he was the one who uh, actually uh, invented the breathing thing. That was his that was his contribution to the character, where he'll stand there and he'll like slowly he'll slowly rise and fall his shoulders because he's he's and he's just so fucking menacing when he when he does that. It's just crazy.
1: Yeah. You Kane's awesome
0: yeah he uh he he's at like every horror convention ever and he has a really really cool uh podcast with felissa rose and tiffany Shepis um on the uh fangoria network they're trying to trying to make a network i guess but I think they only have the one show but it's it's an awesome, it's awesome, awesome podcast, uh, Casualty Fridays. And he, he talks a, a lot about his feelings about being left out of Freddy versus Jason. And it was like, I guess, really, really shitty the way they did it. They kind of just told him that like, yeah, yeah. He's like, hey, we got the script. Hey, you want the script? Hey, cool. Yeah, cool. Yeah, everything's going good. Everything's going fine. He's been wanting to do this forever. Everybody's talking about this forever. And I guess what happened is they just sort of didn't call him back and just stopped talking to him and just kind of pieced out. And eventually he's like, so what is happening with this? You know, six months later. And they're like, Oh yeah. Uh, sorry. Yeah. So, Hey Kane. Uh, yeah, we went a
1: different direction. So. Yeah. The, the big issue was he wasn't tall enough. When he was put next to Robert England, he's too short. That was the reason he didn't get ca- cast. Really? How yeah. tall is Robert England? Um, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head, but that dude, Ken is real tall. And the whole thing is Jason had to tower over Robert England. But if you look it up, the reason, if it's not the actual reason, the reason that was given was the height difference. I didn't know that he,
0: he hasn't mentioned that I, cause Kane Hodder is not small. I mean, he's, he's a big dude too. So that's crazy. I wonder how tall. England is. Like, if he's, like, secretly 6'6", or something, and I had no idea. I don't
1: know. It's possible, I guess, but I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, I know he's not short, and they needed someone to, like, tower over uh, him. So it had to be someone who was extra tall, which was that dude Ken, whatever his last name is.
0: Yeah, I, I, I can picture him. He's uh, I can't yeah. remember his last name, but, uh, but uh, well.
2: I'm looking it up on a Looking it up, it only says he's
0: five ten. Who is Robert Englund? So, how tall is Kane Hodder? He's not five ten. he's, he's got to be much. I feel like Kane Hodder is 6'5 or something.
1: Kane Hodder's not that tall. No, got you. I'm looking it up right now.
0: Okay, okay, interwebs. What do you say? So, Kane Hodder is six foot two. Six two. Okay. But yeah. so that's that's only a like you know a few inches taller. So it's you know. I, I got you. So Ken...
1: Ken Kurtzinger is six 6'6". Six. Oh. So it's not a major difference.
0: Yeah, well, another 4 inches.
1: It's pretty good. Huh! I did not know this. This is very fascinating. Very... That's the, the excuse that everyone got, was the height difference. Hmm. But uh, switching gears and bringing it back to Clive Barker, one thing I noticed about Clive Barker movies is they do not have comedy in them. They are serious movies. They don't have a comedy element to them. They don't have laugh moments, really. Sure. Um, but Jason, Freddy, of course. Freddy, of course. He's, Freddy, of course, he's yeah. comedy gold.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: and most other horror movies have those like breaks of, huh, oh, okay, there's right. the funny guy, here's the joke, here's the campiness. Obviously, evil dad. Yeah, of course. Of but clark barker never has that in his movies it's just very really true or like no comedy and there it's yeah. hard to find a movie in horror that completely negates any sort of tension release you know that usually exists in the form of you know something to laugh at either something being so over the top that it's comedy or having actual you know not a comedy sidekick but like the dude who's funny in the cast and eventually usually gets killed. But that doesn't exist in Hellraiser. That doesn't exist in Midian at all. I mean the the cowboy dude, the dude with a half face is a little funny, but he's not meant to be funny.
0: Right, Whereas, right. The guy who rips the skin off, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: Right, yeah. yeah. Whereas there's specific characters in almost every other horror movie you can name that are meant to be funny. Right. The only other ones I can think of are like Event Horizon. Does not have any comedy whatsoever in it.
0: That is such a goddamn good movie,
1: right? So good. Yeah, actually. Uh, I think
0: it's free on Prime right now. Is it? Yeah, right. pretty sure. I just uh, stumbled across that. I actually saw that in the theater um, way back in the day. Have you ever seen that, Boss Rush? I have not. Event Horizon, like uh, it's it's just, in my opinion, like the other. Truly scary space horror movie after Alien. Like, it's really fucking good. It's got Larry yeah, Fishburne.
2: A, I was, I was going to say it has Lawrence Fishburne. I mean, I think I remember that in the, in the commercials and stuff. But.
0: Yep. Yep. It's, uh, Larry it's a. Larry Fishburne of uh, Pee Wee's
1: Playhouse? Yes, yes. That, that, that's him, Larry. Yep. 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 And he was actually in Nightmare 3 as well. Oh. What? Often referred to as the greatest Nightmare on Elm Street movie, Part Three. Yeah, he's Dream, a Warriors? yeah Dream Warriors. Yeah, Dream Warriors, which has the best Nightmare on Elm Street song and music. Oh, video. yeah! That that there's no question about that.
2: Yeah. <laughs> What's the song? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Dream, uh, yeah, Doc and Dream Warriors.
0: With the Dream Warriors. Oh, yeah! All right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's rocking like Doc Yes, it's rocking exactly like talking. In fact, yes, precisely like talking. Exactly. So, um, I think that, uh, we could probably just go on for another couple hours, but we shouldn't. So, um, (laughs) to wrap things up, uh, I just want to thank you Jeremy for hanging out with us tonight and being our first, uh, first prisoner in the brig. And, uh, if you want to, uh, Plug your book one more time. Why don't you do that? And I'll, I'll post anything you want me to and all the places and all that stuff. So Daughters of Darkness, one last time, what you got? Thanks, man. It's,
1: uh, it's going to be a big art book, coffee table photo book of fine art photos of women in corpse paint. And yeah, get it, please. So there can be a second one. <laughs> Hell yeah. And, and we can get Cassandra Peterson to do the cover. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I mean, you know, I might be able to help you out with that. I know her a little bit. I mean, you know, she walked by my booth a couple of times. And I said, "Hey, Cassandra." And she turned and like smiled. So, I mean, like that we're basically besties now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. she kind of like she, 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 she turned around like like did someone say my name and then just kept walking. It, it was kind of like that. I mean, I remember yeah. it a little differently. <laughs> yeah. But it might be that I just choose to remember it a little differently. Maybe. <laughs> but that's okay. Yeah. Anyway, dude, it's been uh, it's been super fun hanging out and catching up and all this stuff. And uh, wish you the best of luck with all your endeavors going forward. Although I don't think you need it.
2: good, uh, okay, right.
1: Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> no hey, man, problem. It was awesome talking to you, man. Yeah, maybe yeah, dude, when uh, we all gotta actually hang out in person, yes, in real life once yes. all this when the is world opens
0: happen. back up, we gotta come yeah. down, and hang out uh, with, uh, with you and Tara, and like see the see see the mannequins in person. I think. Yeah, is,
1: we can watch Hellraiser. Yeah, four.
0: fuck yeah! And saying, yeah. no, you know what we do? We watch all the like just your favorite of the random sequels. So we get no no continuity, no number ones or number twos. Like you're like we're watching Hellraiser four, like Friday the Thirteenth number number eight, and like Jason three, like all these like just makes no sense. It's just total
1: fucking madness. It's gonna be amazing. <laughs> Dude, a lot of this, some of the movies have better sequels than originals. Nightmare 3 is definitely better than Nightmare 1.
0: I mean, Evil Dead 2, I think Evil Dead got better and better. I mean, I I love Army Darkness. It's definitely my favorite. I know it's not a horror movie, but I still love it the most. Mine too. That's my favorite. Yeah, I mean, so, um, yeah, it it does happen. There are some some, you know, it's a rare thing, but there are good there are good sequels. There are good reboots as well. And, uh, And like, you know, like we said, you know, uh, I love that fucking Jessica Beale Texas Chainsaw. I love that. Film. Oh, it's
1: so good.
2: I actually really liked the, uh, the, uh, that first Halloween reboot with uh, what, Rob Zombie directing.
1: You did? The first one yeah. was good. The second one was real not. I heard the
2: second one wasn't as good at all, but I did like the first, I mean, I didn't see it, but I, I did like the first reboot. I mean, and then I've, I think I've seen the first Halloween like a million years ago and didn't really think much of it. Okay. And it's weird because I'm not even that much of a Rob Zombie fan either, but I ended up liking that movie. So they, they, they really like humanized the character and it was just super interesting. I just thought it was neat. Yeah. Cool.
0: Cool. Awesome. Yeah, I love Carpenter, so it's hard for me to... Uh, I, I just love the... I, I mean, I I don't know. I, I, and that's another franchise I haven't seen all the sequels to. I've seen the oh. first two. I always see the first two! What's my fucking problem? You gotta get past it, man. Like, Nightmare yeah. 2 is not very good skip two
1: and go straight to three <laughs> yeah
0: no i've seen all the nightmares but it has been a lot of years though on a lot of those but uh i think i think tonight i'm gonna i'm gonna pick a three i think i gotta like don't do
1: halloween three do no, not okay do don't halloween. do
0: halloween three so hellraiser three might be where i go
1: okay. okay not a bad one it's pretty cool it gives you the history of pinhead nice
0: all right, buddy, we will talk to you later. Good luck, and thank you to all the Retroids who have taken our journey, a journey, your journey. We just stood here. We talked. You were the ones who've journeyed with us tonight, and uh, we will see you next week on Retro Redoctopus. Good night.